This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, BJ, let's get into the news here. Uh, You got to tell me a little bit about Naruto. Naruto, I'm not entirely certain the pronunciation there. Uh, This is an anime project, or I believe it's based on a, a very popular manga, and now it's getting a live-action movie from the director of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, tell me a little bit about this project. What do I need to know about this this character in this world? Okay, so what you need to know is that Naruto is one of what is considered like the big three. Um, uh, the big three series that were published in Shonen Jump, um, which is alongside One Piece and Bleach. Um, One Piece obviously just had its own live action series on Netflix that was really successful. But like Naruto is in another level of popularity. Um, it, one of the most popular mangas ever made. Uh, the anime was a huge deal because it was streamed on Cartoon Network in the 2000s. So this is also a lot of people's in the West's like first big anime love. Mm. Um Naruto is also huge. <laughs> like it's very expansive. There are like hundreds upon hundreds of episodes. Okay. So trying to figure out what they're going to do in terms of like bringing this to live action, um, especially if it's going to be a movie and not a series, uh, will be interesting to see, you know, where they're going to pull from. But the thing that I'm most excited about is that it's being directed uh, by Destin Daniel Cretton, who I really like as a director. I think that he has a very good visual eye. I think he can absolutely pull off a live action anime film. And I'm curious how this will look without having to deal with like the powers that be of Marvel that also, you know, have their input on the movies that they make. Because I like Shang-Chi. It's not, you know, the the best Marvel movie, but I really like a lot of what's going on there. And so this actually has me very excited because 
do we need a Naruto live action? No, but everything is getting made into live action these days, so it's going to happen. So I'm not going to fight it. Um, <laughs> and I just think that it, it, I think it's a good. I think it's a good pairing, personally. Okay. Yeah, The uh, Devin Meenan, who wrote the article for Slash Film, basically said, like, the fighting styles that appear in uh, Naruto are kind of similar to the fighting styles that appear in Shang-Chi. There's a lot of, like, martial arts hand-to-hand stuff, but also a lot of, like, sort of magic lights coming out of your hand kind of stuff, too. So yes. it seems like, you know, he's a <laughs> maybe a more of a natural fit that way in terms of the stuff that he's directed before. Um, I, yeah, I, I know him from Short Term 12, which came out in 2013, and then oh, Shang-Chi. So um, have you seen uh, The Glass Castle or Just Mercy, his other, uh, I guess, like in-between movies before he jumped over to Marvel? I haven't seen those two. I saw Short Term 12, um, which was one of my favorite movies that it was released that year, but that is decidedly not like naruto yeah um <laughs> but no i've not seen the other two okay yeah i haven't either i, I need uh, just mercy in particular came out in like 2019 and i don't know it just like fell through the cracks for me i never got around to checking that one out i need to i need to seek that out um the only thing i know about naruto bj is that people run around with their hands out behind their back and kind yes. of like head forward sprint. And there was like a whole yes. thing about like area 51 and people doing that. I don't know. I, I was more online then than I am now. So um, I'm not <laughs> sure if there have been any other like Naruto meme running movements going on lately, but uh, that's the extent of my knowledge of this. So thanks. For yeah. That. Naruto running <laughs> is very much a thing. Um, it is still incredibly popular with junior high boys. Um <laughs> <laughs> Love to go from class to class doing that, which I think is very, very funny. Um, Naruto also has like some of the best anime food um, that I've ever seen. So I'm very curious if we're going to we're going to get some good uh, ramen scenes in this movie. I feel like you have to. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of awesome, uh, True Detective Season 5 has been announced, and Issa Lopez, who is the, uh, as our, hide- our headline says, the maestro of uh, True Detective Night Country, fourth season, is coming back to uh, sort of reprise her role as the showrunner and sort of like chief creative voice of this new season of True Detective. Um, what did you make of True Detective Season 4? I assume you of aka night country i assume you caught up with that Mm -hmm. and then what do you think about uh, Issa lopez coming back for a fifth season i really enjoyed my time with night country because i really love the first season like i think what nick pizzolato did is pretty brilliant i really did not like season two or season three at all um i like the performances i hated the story Mm -hmm. so night country was something extremely different it felt very much like the inverse of season one going from being you know this really hot louisiana landscape to now this like very very frigid alaskan going from two like different forms of toxic male detectives into messy feminine detectives i really really enjoyed my time with like that juxtaposition i also love the incorporation of supernatural elements that's always going to be something that i like so i did really really like this but there's also been a lot of talk about how originally this was not pitched as a true detective story and it was made into a true detective story so that's why there are those callbacks from you know season four into season one mm-hmm. i am very excited to see what Issa lopez does with season five and you know, hopefully does not have the restrictions that it needs to call back in any way to the previous seasons. And she can just make her own story because Tigers Are Not Afraid is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And she is so brilliant and builds these really complex worlds. And I'm very excited to see what she does for it. And what I also think is 
you know, on a pettier note, very exciting is that people have been dogging on this season, like very intensely online. Like it seems like every single Sunday, my feed was just flooded with people being like over the moon hating this season and yet this is the most popular season the show has ever had and that is why it got greenlit so quickly because it's doing huge numbers for hbo so clearly the internet is not (laughs) you know the arbiter of how the real world works because people really really loved this season Mm -hmm. and so i'm very excited to see what she comes up with for next season i know this is also part of an overall deal with hbo so she's going to start doing other things that are not true detective related which is also very exciting to me um this is just good news all around as far as i'm concerned and considering what a big baby nick pizzolato has been acting like on instagram over this show being successful like even if i hated this show i would still be championing it just to stick it to him for acting like such a child yeah yeah you can read i think we've covered a little bit of that on slash film um over the past few weeks where yeah his reactions to uh the success of the show were uh, not what you want from somebody who is purportedly an adult man yeah, no, so sit at home <laughs> collect your exec producer checks like no one needs this no one yeah. needs you complaining in notes app please <laughs> speaking of notes app like while you were talking i literally opened my notes app and wrote down tigers are not afraid in there because i'd heard that she had directed that movie before um and i'd never seen it but you saying that it's one of your favorite movies of all time i'm like holy crap all right i'm it's like literally so writing this down so i can check it out <laughs> it's so incredible okay that's good to know uh and then yeah i I'm right there with you. I think I very much enjoyed the uh, fourth season. I know that like, you know, it has some highs and lows in there, but um, uh, and in terms of like the mystery and whether or not you thought that was like a satisfying ending or whatever, I thought like I enjoyed the journey and the, uh, the milieu and, and all of that, like, and Jodie Foster and uh, Callie Reese, like so much that I was just like basically on board with what was going on, even if I didn't love like every single second of it. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so curious to see what she does, knowing that whatever she does next, you know, she will have the knowledge from from the jump that it is a true detective project. So like what the next season looks like, I think is going to be much more representative of what Isa Lopez does with a true detective property instead of, like you said, sort of um, retrofitting a different project into the true detective world. And whether or not that means that HBO has a series of requirements for her of like okay you you know a true detective project has to have x y and z or whatever or whether that's her being able to sort of seed in those references a little bit more organically we'll have to wait and see um but yeah Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm very curious to know what that looks like where everybody's on the same page from the beginning instead of um you know doing a creative job but also yeah retrofitting something into uh you know under like a a, an existing franchise umbrella so uh, okay, the other project that I wanted to mention here um, is sort of in the DC Warner Brothers Discovery world or, or uh, HBO Warner Brothers Discovery world. And that's a DC project, which is uh, an upcoming DC animated film. There's a rumor that a uh, an animated movie called Jurassic League is in the works that James Gunn, who is the co head of DC studios now is set to produce and a guy named Brian Lynch who worked on the secret life of pets movies and minions movies and puss in boots is going to be writing. 
Jurassic League is based on a 2022 limited six issue run of a DC Comics property where the the main heroes of uh, Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman are envisioned as literal dinosaurs. Um, and you can see some photos of what these characters look like online. Very interesting. And I've never read this actual comic book before, but, uh, yeah, they're like actually dinosaurs here. So, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what to do with this information, BJ. Like, are, are you like on board with this as a concept? It seems like it's geared a little bit more toward kids than, you know, trying to, to be like all things to all people. Like so many of these four quadrant blockbusters often have to be, uh, but what do you make of this? I'm so excited about this. Um, and it's solely because Brian Lynch is the one that's in charge of it. Because I know most people are going to know him from Minions and Puss in Boots and Secret Life of Pets. And I think Secret Life of Pets is like s- severely underrated. That movie's way funnier than it has any business being. But Brian Lynch is also one, um, a great Twitter follow. He's hilarious. Um, but he's also worked on comics before. Um, he worked on Spider Man Unlimited Volume 3. Um, he worked on the comics for Spike and Angel, um, as in like the the Buffy characters and the angel characters um, as well as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles micro series. So he knows how to do the superhero thing really well and has proven it in comics, but also he's worked in spaces where movies are geared towards children. So I think that knowing James Gunn's sensibility and how he is not someone who's ever going to talk down to children. I'm very excited to see Brian Lynch get to work in a sandbox where he might be able to like get away with things like a little bit edgier than say like a minions movie. Um, but still, you know, age appropriate. I think this will be really fun and, the premise is like dumb as hell. And that makes me excited. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see, uh, I think it was called Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Oh yeah. Teen Titans Go to the Movies rules. <laughs> it's okay, so I've, good. <laughs> I've never seen that, but I know it has a good reputation. And that is something that I'm thinking of just in terms of like the broadest possible strokes of, you know, a superhero thing aimed toward a younger audience that might, uh, that might be, you know, um, that might gain like some sort of cult following or at least like gain acceptance in sort of the wider geek sphere outside of, you know, just parents like taking their movies or taking their kids to the movies to shut them up for a little bit. You know what I mean? So totally. Um, and, and Lynch was a producer on the Lego Batman movie as well. So that's for me, that's like the sense of humor. I think they're going to be chasing. And I think that that is just, I think it's smart. I think it's a yeah. really smart idea. I didn't know about that credit. Yeah. That makes me, I'm like not as big of a fan of this secret life of pet stuff as you are. And I've not engaged with any minion stuff, but I loved the Lego Batman movie. So hearing that he was uh, a producer on that is, yeah, very encouraging so um and obviously there's a a dc connection there too so uh okay well let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some more film and tv news say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill all right, BJ, we, we wrote about this years ago, but uh, I'd kind of forgotten that Game of Thrones was supposed to end with a trilogy of movies and HBO killed that plan. Had you ever heard this before? Did you remember this story? Yeah, so it, it's so interesting. And I think we all have the same <laughs> sort of understanding, which is that um, 
Game of Thrones is a show a lot of us were really obsessed with for 10 years of our life and then just immediately purged it from our brains because the ending whiffed it so hard. Um, so when we started writing about this again, it all kind of came flooding back of, oh, that's right. There was a completely different plan here that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the, um, I guess, co-creators of the show, the showrunners of the series, uh, basically told HBO, hey, the way that we want to end this is by doing three movies that are going to be released theatrically. And HBO came back and said, hey, HBO stands for home box office, not away box office. So no, you're not actually going to do that. You're going to make two more seasons of the show. Um, so I mean, you know, on, on one hand, like maybe uh, granting the creators the ability to um tell the story in the way that they wanted could potentially have resulted in a better ending than the one that we got. Uh, but the, at the, on the, I guess on the other hand, that, that is basically condensing 13 episodes from the final two seasons into three movies, which like, even if they're three hours long or something, there's a lot of hours that are cut out of that, that would have been cut out of that experience. And I think people, generally feel like season seven and eight were incredibly rushed, you know, in their current forms, let alone being truncated even further into movies. So, oh, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like, don't really understand how they could have put like even possibly told that story of the final two seasons and three movies. Do you have any sense, like thinking back, you know, you're saying you blocked it out and, and some of that stuff came rushing back in thinking about like the shape of those final two seasons, do you have any idea like if that could have worked at all? I like the only thing that I could think of is that maybe there would have been like a movie for each of like the major moments of like the major, you know, battle with the White Walkers, the major issues with Daenerys going ham and mm -hmm. the major crowning of Bran. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I feel like that would have been it. But that I don't know why <laughs> like i don't i don't see the point why um because you're totally right the, those last seasons do feel kind of rushed um you also can't see half of it yeah. um so that would have been an even worse theatrical experience um, yeah i don't and i didn't even I think about know. that like how bad um the theatrical presentation i mean still is now but definitely was in even in 2019 like pre-pandemic it was bad like i remember people complaining about it all the time like the uh bulbs being dim at AMC, amc theaters across the country things like that so uh yeah that would have been watching the um the long night episode would have been or or i guess movie in this case would have probably been pretty disastrous but um yeah all i can think is like was this their way to try to like shoehorn in like hey guys we can make movies too hey marvel you want to give us money to make movies we can make movies like well, that's, that's the only thing i can think of as why you would even pitch this um also whoever gave the not home box office or home box office not away box office they probably have been sitting on that line for like five <laughs> years just waiting for the chance to use it because it's a good one yeah that's true um yeah, I, I wonder, like, I don't remember exactly when Benioff and Weiss were uh, attached to direct their Star Wars trilogy of movies, um, but it might have been around that same time. So I wonder if, yeah, they were thinking about 
maybe using the experience of directing these as as movies as like a bridge into directing a Star Wars trilogy or something like that. I'll have to go back and check the dates on that. But uh, yeah, I guess ultimately I'm glad that this didn't happen. Um, I, I still stand by the coverage that Jacob and I did of the end of Game of Thrones, the final two seasons. We did like a lot of recaps and a lot of uh, coverage on Slash Film that still exists. You can go back and, and check that stuff out if you uh, happen to be like revisiting the show or anything. But um, I think he and I didn't hate it as much as everybody else, but we still kind of uh, are pouring one out for the fact that like it was obviously rushed to the conclusion. So yeah, um, I know that like, yeah, I feel like everybody else has kind of like, like you said, written the show off completely. And I feel like there's so much good stuff in there that I, I hesitate to do that, even though I, I was not satisfied by the ending, really. Um, I was satisfied more than a lot of other people, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I guess that's neither here nor there. Uh, okay, a couple other stories to discuss here. Uh, Tom Cruise has signed up for a top secret movie with the director of The Revenant. His name is um, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. And um, he has made a lot of movies that I don't really like, BJ, but one movie, uh, The Revenant, that I really, really did like a lot. Uh, he made Birdman. He made, I want to say he made 21 Grams back in the day. Uh, most recently, he directed Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths back in 2022. Um, that was the Spanish language movie. And now he's going to be making uh, another English language movie. It's like a top secret thing. Nobody knows exactly what it's about. It's supposed to be an original story, but it has Tom Cruise uh, at, like top lining this movie, which is a very exciting thing because, um, you know, even regardless of how you feel about Inaritu or his films, Tom Cruise, like, um, I guess if you, if you just look, uh, look at the data of Tom Cruise's career over the past 20 years, he's really only worked with a handful, a very, very small number of filmmakers a bunch of times and kind of bounce back and forth between like his guys. And the idea that he would be now willing under his new deal at Warner Brothers to open things up a little bit and uh, step outside of his comfort zone and work with a director that he's never worked with before and somebody who uh, previously in in uh, The Revenant directed Leonardo DiCaprio to his only Oscar win is very exciting to me like creatively for Tom Cruise. What do you make of this? So I am of two minds in that one, as a director, Inaridu is not one of my favorites, but what's weird is... Okay, I'm going to say something and it's going to sound incredibly crass, but the best way that I can describe his filmography to me is that like it's the equivalent of dry humping. Like when it's happening, I'm like this is great, and then when it's over, I'm like I wanted more. Um that's how I feel about every film he's ever made. Wow, um, okay. This is new territory, BJ. I've never heard a director refer to it or a filmography referred to in those terms, but it's kind of brilliant. I understand exactly what you mean. See, like you get it exactly, and like that's why it's crass cuz there's no other real good way for me to <laughs> explain what I mean by it because when I'm watching his movies, I'm like hell yeah, this is awesome, and then it's over and I'm like Oh, that's the thing I did. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm not super sold on, you know, what the story might entail, but I am always super sold on my favorite problematic Scientologist, Tom Cruise, because mm -hmm. he is, he's brilliant and he's a superstar. And this does to me feel like he didn't get an Oscar for Mission Impossible. So now he's really going for one. And I have missed that Tom Cruise. I have missed the Tom Cruise who feels like he is hungry for something. And I want to see what that Tom Cruise can pull off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love, you know, his action stuff. And I hope he keeps making that. But I'm just very excited about him potentially returning to like more of a, a zone where he 
drops in every once in a while and just like checks in with different types of filmmakers and makes different types of movies. So um, this is like, I think when he signed that deal with Warner brothers, a lot of people were like, Oh, this is basically just like nothing. This is no more than just like a fluffy press release to make David Zaslav look good and make it seem like he cares about the movies or whatever. Um, you know, setting Zaslav and, and all of that nonsense aside, uh, I think this is actually, it seems to be this announcement anyway, seems to me to confirm that Cruz is actually serious about entering a new era in his career. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, okay. Last thing. Uh, Lionsgate evidently wants to remake American Psycho. We don't really have much more information on this than that. I think this was kind of like tossed off in another report or something that this line of like, hey, Lionsgate wants to do this. Um, But uh, I I don't know. This is one of those things that like American Psycho came out in 2000. Uh, Mary Heron directed this movie based on Brett Easton Ellis's novel, Christian Bale pre-Batman uh, is like one of his better performances. And this movie like holds a very special place in a lot of people's uh, movie going lives. Um, it's a, it's a pretty extreme movie in some ways. It's a pretty out there movie in some ways. It's a really funny movie. It's, it's just like a, a very singular type of thing. So the idea of a remake, I'm guessing will strike people in different ways. Where do you fall on this BJ? I think that it's an incredibly good idea on one condition. It has to once again be written and directed by women Um, because part of the success of American Psycho is its subversion in how it presents this character that is, you know, toxic masculinity incarnate and that is only really capable because it is being written from the perspective of people who exclusively are on the receiving end of these kinds of guys' behavior. Mm. Um, And so I think that we are in a new realm where like, crypto bros and like ai bros like that is a perfect landscape to have a new patrick bateman and show that like they're not always these gordon gecko type of guys like they are you know these guys that walk around in like hoodies because they look casual but the hoodies actually cost like five hundred dollars um like i think that's a really really good entry point for a new American Psycho and a new take on it but I am also lamenting the fact that I feel like yet again the same way that people did with the original American Psycho it's just going to breed an entire new generation of boys who take the wrong message from this movie <laughs> um, but I I very firmly believe that it needs to be written and directed by women once again there's a reason the first one is is a masterpiece. Uh, Hannah Shaw Williams uh, first last film wrote a really great article about um, basically how this is not maybe the terrible idea that it seems uh, on its surface because of exactly what you said, that the sort of culture that we're in right now, like she can totally, she says in this article, basically like imagining um, uh, Patrick Bateman, the, the, I guess, protagonist of that story as like uh, an influencer who, instead of like getting um, flustered by his rivals, having, uh, you know, a a better business card than him gets like pissed off that people have more followers than him or something like that. Right. Like there's so many, uh, I guess, connective points that you can have um, to what's going on today and the types of like uh, cultural figures we have today that Patrick Bateman could slot into. Um, I have to admit that when I first read that, I was like, oh man, I don't really want to see a movie about an influencer or something. But I'm guessing in the year 2000, when this movie came out, or maybe the late to mid to late 90s or whatever, when it was in development, that people who read the um, uh, plot synopsis or whatever about the original American Psycho movie were probably like, uh, a movie about like a yuppie guy. Like, I don't really want to see that either. You know what I mean? And like that movie turned into a classic. So uh, maybe I'm wrong there. I don't know. What do you think about like my 
I guess, aversion to um, leaning so hard into the specificity of like influencer culture? Do you think it's it's going to just um, make this movie like a time capsule that uh, that potentially could be its own classic? Or do you have some of that same hesitation on your end? I think that it, again, it's going to very much depend on how it's going to be handled because I think some filmmakers are still very much struggling on how to incorporate screen life elements into their stories without it feeling a little bit hacky. Um, The two that I think that are done really well and, you know, no surprise to anyone are both social media movies or uh, are both like social media horror movies is um, Sissy, which is uh, on Shudder. And I, it's about a female influencer whose friends, uh, know that she's lying on the internet and it's like that's not who you are like that Mm. persona you have that's not you and it slowly makes her kind of go crazy um and then spree with joe keery uh from stranger things where it is like just a rampage um and it's all live streamed um those two movies i think are really good at handling this sort of like influencer landscape of you know the quest to be the biggest on the internet so i think we we have the ability for this to work well, but the problem is like, if you're not careful, then it does just turn into he's all that and nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hannah mentions the, um, the fact that like this w- could be coming in the, uh, in the wake of things like succession and the Wolf of Wall Street and Parasite, you know, projects that sort of lampoon the lack of empathy and the ultra wealthy, um, makes a lot of sense for like what a modern American psycho uh, might look like. So uh, I encourage everybody to read her article there. So I'll just link to that in the show notes and you can check that out. Um, I think that's going to do it for today's show. You can read much more about all the things that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.